to read from Genesis 43, and it's page 36 in the church Bible. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that you returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. But as for me, I am bereaved. Of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them, and, Be and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he, that he may assault us and fall upon us as we make, and to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. 
and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, for Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians will not eat with Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. O oh Lord God, we pray that we may never forget your word and that we may hear you speaking to us. Please bless David as he preaches to us and give us listening ears. And we pray, Lord, for the children in the Sunday school and for all the church children, that in your perfect time you will open their eyes to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our study of this Genesis narrative, and in particular, the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers. Last time we saw that they came face to face as the severe famine reached Canaan. And so the family of Jacob are forced to send their brothers to Egypt to buy some grain from who they call the Lord of the land, chapter 42, verse 30. As we've tried to keep reminding ourselves, only the brothers don't know that the Lord of the land is their brother Joseph, the brother they sold as a slave 22 years before this. It would never have occurred to them, never would have crossed their mind that the one before them dressed in all the, the sort of, you know, Oxford Street version of Egypt and all his designer clothing, that was their little scrawny brother, now as Prime Minister of Egypt. And so, Joseph begins a series of tests. He wants to see if his brothers have changed. He knows who they are, but how are they? 
Have 22 years changed anything about them other than the gray hairs in their head and the wrinkles around their eyes and so on and so forth? Time alone will change how we appear on the outside, but how about changes on the inside? As Christians, we can say, I know I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. And that's absolutely true. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we know that in Christ we're a new creation. In Christ, we're different to how we were before we came to faith in Christ. We have been changed. But as well as who we are, are we? changing in terms of how we are. Yes, as the wrinkles appear, as the hair fades, or even for some of us it falls out, are we also showing signs of growing older spiritually on the inside? As God and his grace and his truth affects us, as we are changed day by day more and more into the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we know we are? Well, it's those challenging events of life that will reveal your character, those little challenges that come up and test how you are. I'm glad you weren't there yesterday in my front driveway as I tried to put a wardrobe on the roof bars of my car. I would have been embarrassed if you had heard me struggling to put this mammoth wardrobe on top of the car. I thought I was fine. I thought I was changing. I thought God was dealing with my tongue and dealing with those words and things until a test comes up and I discover there's a lot more to go in Davy Larmer. Joseph here is testing his brothers. That's what he does here in chapter 42, what we looked at last time when he treated them roughly as they had done to him. Well, how will you react then? as he accuses them of being spies, as they had probably thought he was, as he separates Simeon from them and ties them up in front of them, just as they had done to him. And then him wanting to see their youngest brother Benjamin, the, the new favorite of their family. Joseph wants to see, does his brothers view Benjamin as they had viewed Joseph 22 years ago? Because 22 years ago, they, they had been jealous of Joseph. We saw that back in chapter 37, verse 11. These brothers hated Joseph. They were jealous of him. They weren't jealous because of his robe, you know. Oh, I fancy a robe like that. When they got his robe, they tore it in pieces. They weren't envious in that sense, but they were jealous of Joseph because they felt threatened that the family favorite might be undermining their position in the family. That's what jealousy does to you. It, it affects you. It challenges you. It, it brings the worst out of you. Remember how Cain had killed Abel back in Genesis 4 because he was jealous. It was out of jealousy that Rachel competed with Leah. King Saul was jealous of David's popularity and sought to kill him. Joseph's brothers had been jealous of him, and what did they do? They threw him into a pit for him to slowly die a death. And then they changed their minds and sold him into slavery. Now, if that's what they had done to Joseph back then, 
In Joseph's mind, he's thinking, how then did they view Benjamin now? Benjamin, the new favorite. In fact, was Benjamin's life now at risk from these sons of Jacob? Those are the sorts of questions that hang over this week's study in Genesis. There's just two points I want to highlight to you this morning. First of all, we have discussions and decisions in verses 1 to 14. Discussions and decisions. Back at the end of chapter 42, when the family had returned with bags of grain, Reuben, in verse 37, Reuben hadn't been able to persuade Jacob to allow them to take Benjamin back to Egypt. The need to return, you see, hadn't seemed so pressing. The, the urgency to go back wasn't so immediate. Never mind the fact, actually, that Jacob wouldn't let Benjamin out of sight. That again showed his favoritism, at least over Simeon. Simeon can stay in prison, but I'm not sending my Benjamin. But you see, time has moved on now. The bags once full are now empty. Tensions are now growing in the household as mother brings out the dinner plates and the portions are getting smaller and smaller. And as the chapter opens, the famine was severe in the land. We need more food. More grain is needed to keep them going for another length of time. And so Jacob tells his sons, go again, buy us a little food. It sounds really simple, doesn't it? Just, you know, pop down to the shop and buy us another couple of bags of crisps or whatever. Had he forgotten what the Lord of the land had said? Verse 3, if you don't bring Benjamin with you, then not even a little food. You get no food. But Judah here tries then to show to his dad, we need to go. And really, this is the point in the story where Judah, who was the fourth in the line, Judah begins to shine in Genesis. Judah here takes the lead here and then again in chapter 44 and then at the end of the story when Jacob blesses each of his sons and prophesizes for each one how out of Judah will come the ultimate leader, will come a great king who will arise and shepherd his people and look after his people. And of course, we know that person now as Jesus Christ. But it's not Reuben, the disgraced firstborn, who persuades his dad, but Judah, Judah who here rises to offer himself as a pledge for Benjamin's life, that if Benjamin doesn't return from Judah, sorry, from Egypt, then Judah will bear the guilt forever. And the need is great, dad. We have to go, dad, not just for your sake or Benjamin's sake, but all of us, so all of us can live. Uh, your children, your grandchildren, we need to go down to Egypt. Isn't this encouraging for us to see how far Judah has come over 22 years, listening to what he says? Back in chapter 37, when they had thrown Joseph into the pit, it was Judah in verse 26 who had suggested selling them. He had seen the traders passing on their way down to Egypt, so, so why not make a bit of money from selling Joseph to them? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And look at him now. 
He's not perfect, of course. But do you see the development, the growth of character? Here he's willing in some sense to carry the cost himself if anything should happen to the new favorite in the family. We wonder what has happened. Did he learn anything from Tamar? We looked at him and Tamar back in chapter 38 and the way Tamar did the right thing regardless of the consequences to her. And I wonder, did Judah learn something from that in a particular way? So that here in this particular time, we see the changed man come out. Well, after the discussion comes then the decision and Jacob gives in to allowing Benjamin to go down to Egypt. Now remember, none of them know that the man in Egypt is Joseph. And so it is somewhat ironic to see this older man, Jacob, the father, preparing a present to take down to give to his son. And look to it, what's in the gift in verse 11, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Those, you see, are the sorts of things the traders that were heading down to Egypt had been carrying when they took Joseph with them back in chapter 37. But this time, however, it'll be the brothers who are bearing the balm and the gum and the money and the favorite son down to Egypt. It's as though it's come round full circle again. There's a, there's a repeat of what has happened before. This is how God works, the, the subtleties, just, just the, the slightest subtleties of life circumstances that God uses in our particular personal situations. These subtleties that God uses to poke our conscience to remind us of things, to cause us to secretly think in those secret places of who we are, to then draw us to faith in Himself. That's how God works. On the outside, it appears God is not at work in the person, but inside, God is at work, subtly, carefully, but thoroughly bringing someone to faith in Jesus Christ. But look then at Jacob's blessing of his son. This is important. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your own brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He prays to God Almighty. That is a name that is particular in Scripture, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. It's the name of God that is used when you look at it before this occasion. It's used when God appeared in person to certain people. For example, to Abraham in chapter 17 or to Jacob in chapter 35. The Almighty God, the maker of the heavens and earth, He condescends and appears to His people, and in that appearing, He blesses them. And the particular blessing that Jacob prays for here is mercy. God, be merciful to my sons. That when my sons stand before the man in Egypt... God caused that man, who of course is Joseph, God caused that man to show mercy to these boys. 
You remember, too, how that is, how God had been towards Joseph. When Joseph stood before another mighty man, Potiphar, when he served in Potiphar's house, God caused Potiphar to have favor towards Joseph. That was mercy. When he was in the prison house under the supervision of the prison warden, and we noted there how a prison warden typically weren't known for being nice people. And yet because of the mercy of God upon Joseph, the prison warden looks with favor towards Joseph. And then in Pharaoh's palace, Pharaoh, Pharaoh looking upon this guy who has literally just come out of prison and he makes him prime minister of the whole country. That is mercy from the hand of El Shaddai. Every time when someone with power, with might, with force who, who could have harmed Joseph, who could have acted out as we might have expected them to act out towards Joseph, but El Shaddai, our God Almighty, he intervened and, and overruled and manifested mercy. And Jacob prays, O oh God, that same God, that he would now manifest mercy to these brothers, to these brothers through the one they had sinned against 22 years earlier. I think this is a prayer we could pray for our own children, for our own sons, our own family. A prayer we could pray for those who are facing particularly difficult people, bullies of one sort or another, that El Shaddai would intervene, that El Shaddai would manifest mercy towards them. We could pray this for our Ukrainian Christians against the mighty man of Putin. God would intervene and manifest mercy. Christians in Iran, Christians in Nigeria, where they face someone with the power and the ability and in their own thinking the reason to inflict evil upon them, God would intervene and manifest mercy towards them. Well, we move on then to our second point this morning, that is fears of feast and fellowship. I'm trying to get as many points in as possible just in two points. Verses 15 to 34, fears of feast and fellowship. Now, if you remember how the whole world is traveling down to Egypt, this is a, a worldwide famine. So people from all over the world are, are being sent on behalf of their governments to come to Egypt, to come to Joseph, to buy from this man, the Lord of the land, grain in order to survive. And yet when this band of brothers arrived in Egypt, they're spotted. And they are invited to Joseph's house for a meal. Now, you might have thought, maybe you would have thought in that situation, well, you know, this is great. I'm invited to the prime minister's house. I'm having lunch with the, you know, the top dog. Wow. Whew. Feeling proud, feeling privileged. But these brothers, they feel afraid. They're filled with fear. They're convinced that this is a ploy to trap them. It's the money that they had found in their sacks of grain and all of this kindness being shown to them is just some sort of trap. Verse 18, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that 
We are brought in like this so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys, as if Joseph's bothered about donkeys. But you see, even though they had heard Jacob pray for them for manifest mercy, they're overwhelmed by the situation. Isn't this true for us? We pray at the start of the day that God would be with us and help us in life circumstances, but where we find ourselves in certain circumstances, we behave as atheists even. We forget God altogether. And that's the picture of these men here. Not expecting mercy, but actually expecting to be molested and mistreated. So how will El Shaddai manifest mercy down in Egypt to these frightened brothers? Well, first of all, he does it through an Egyptian steward. Through an Egyptian steward. Do you see there in verse 19 onwards how the brothers try to explain things to the steward of Joseph's house? And look at what the steward says back to them in verse 23. Peace to you. Do you know what that word is? Shalom. They heard Hebrew in Egypt. These brothers hear from this Egyptian stranger who might well have demanded their money back, but instead this Egyptian stranger gives them the traditional Hebrew greeting and wishes them shalom. Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? His wonders to perform for His glory, for our surprise. He, he wishes them shalom. And then he refers to their God as the one who had put the money back in their sacks. Now, when you read the commentators, they're thinking, well, why did he say this? Was he only saying what Joseph told him to say? Or was he being typically superstitious as an Egyptian? We don't know. But in that context, rather than face imprisonment, these brothers experience mercy. Rather than being questioned further and harassed further, they are given peace. And did they deserve such peace? Did they deserve such kindness? What do you think? Does any of us in times of fear deserve such unexpected encouragement? None of us do. Not a single one of us does. But our God, as we opened our, our, our worship this morning with singing Psalm 103, our God abounds in mercy and love towards those who fear Him. Not treating us as our sins deserve, but instead, because of His kindness towards us, He blesses us with grace and peace. God is good to us all the time that we might notice it and trust Him and love Him and stop doubting Him. Stop distrusting Him, but live before Him lives of faith, knowing that He does care for you. So, mercy through this Egyptian steward, and then more mercy as Simeon is returned to them, verse 23. That's what Jacob had prayed for back in verse 14. And then Jacob arrives home for his lunch at 12. 
Look at how Joseph, sorry, look at how Moses here twice shows Joseph's dreams coming true. These were dreams he had 22 years ago, at least, the dreams back in chapter 37, where he saw all his brothers bow down to him. And here they are now, verses 26 and 28, all of them now prostrate, prostrate rather, before him. And how will Joseph be towards them? Remember, the steward spoke words of peace and reassurance to them. But how will the man, how will the Lord of the land treat them? We'll look at his words of peace. We're using an English translation here, but actually, if we had the Hebrew, it would say something like this. I'm not going to speak Hebrew, but let me just point something out. Verse 27, he inquired about their welfare, shalom, and said, is your father well, shalom? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. Shalom. He is still alive. It's that word shalom that is in this conversation between Joseph and his brothers. We have here this wonderful exchange of references to peace between two parties who once had been at odds with one another. Peace. Peace and mercy pervades this whole encounter. Look at how Joseph too reacts when he sees Benjamin, his mother's son, verse 29. It says in verse 30, Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion, or Hebrew, his mercy, grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. So instead of hot tempers and anger at the injustice of what happened to him 22 years ago, Joseph's heart burns with hot, tender mercies towards him. The man who had the power, the man who had the reason to arrest and to destroy these men, he does not treat them as they deserve. But rather he is full of compassion and peace towards them. I hope you're thinking this morning. I hope you're sat there with your mind churning over as you apply these verses to yourself and to your own faith, to your own experience with God. We can't help but think of our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. How though God has every reason to cast every one of us into the prison of hell forever and ever, yet through Jesus... He looks upon us with warm love. He sees what his son did for his people on Calvary's cross. He sees how his son suffered and died for the sins of all who will believe. And so through Jesus Christ, God is satisfied that justice has now been met. And, and so instead of anger, instead of Wrath, we, we hear words of shalom, words of mercy, words of love. And we in return do as these brothers did. We bow down before the man of mercy, before the Lord Jesus Christ. The last time that these brothers had eaten together, Joseph had cried out to them from the bottom of a pit. But here, here he shows them mercy and he feeds them. Do you remember, or sorry, do you see in verse 33 here how he sits them in order of their age? 
First of all, it's Reuben. You imagine turning up to the banquet hall and you find in your little, uh, your name on the little place mark and there's Reuben, he finds his seat, he sits down and then uh, Simeon, then Levi, then Judah and I don't remember the rest but it all goes all the way down to Benjamin. And they're amazed and they're wondering, how did this happen? Why did he do that? I don't know why he did that. I suspect he did it because of what comes in the next chapter when in verse uh, five in chapter 44, Joseph claims to have supernatural ability in knowing things. Possibly here in chapter 43, he's preparing them for that. I can't be sure, but they're amazed by what this man knows of them. But the brothers eat on their own, and the Egyptians eat on their own because they're following their beliefs. And because Joseph is the superior one there, he eats on his own, verse 32. But from his table, he feeds his brothers. And as he feeds his brothers, he makes sure that Benjamin gets five times more than the others do. Why did he do that? Well, I think it's probably to see what their reaction would be to see the new favorite in the family being shown favoritism. Would the old animosities come out again as Joseph had seen them all those years ago? Would Joseph here see signs of jealousy again from his brothers? That same horrible hatred they'd shown to him all those years ago? Does he see it? No, he doesn't. There's nothing of it here whatsoever. This appears to be a happy family meal and look at how the chapter finishes they drank and were merry with him the niv i think gives a, a better image of the meal they feasted and drank freely with him i guess if we were there stood in the corners of the room watching listening what is conveyed here is a is an image of laughter and a party almost Fears have disappeared as these brothers rest and are relaxed in the mercy and peace shown them as they enjoy being with this man, the Lord of the land. But you know, as we close, it's more than just a meal together, you know. This, this symbolizes something really, really significant. These brothers had thought in verse 18 that the man was going to harm them. But in fact, they dine in his presence and they feast from his table. They expected to hear from this man harsh words of judgment. But instead, what they hear are words of peace. Tones of concern for them. In other words, this meal shared together symbolizes fellowship with Joseph. It's not full fellowship yet because they haven't been fully reconciled yet. That'll happen, God willing, next week when Joseph reveals to them who he is and they hear his words of forgiveness. But, but here, here, this meal symbolizes that coming complete reconciliation, that future communion 
full communion that these brothers will have with their brother. When all their sins against him are brought into the light and they hear him forgive them. And he receives them into his life. As he receives them into his care. As he receives them into his provision for them. My friends, in a sense, every Christian experiences that when we come around the table. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to share communion together as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we do that, we are reminded of our relationship with the Lord Jesus and of our sharing in his life, our sharing in his care for us our sharing in his provision for us. We're expressing a communion with him, a fellowship with our friend, where mercy and peace abound, where, as we sang just now, where we hear words of love as we trust afresh in Jesus' blood. And by faith we see his mighty sacrifice. And by faith we feast and drink freely from his table. And we again affirm we have peace with God. Can I ask you, have you peace with God this morning? Are you resting in his words of peace? to your soul. You can have peace with God, but only through faith, only in the Lord Jesus Christ. For any, for whoever will believe on his name, God offers, he promises shalom to those who believe. May you hear his words of love to you, his words of peace to you, that you may rest in his presence. Let's pray together. God of heaven, we thank you for, for this passage and how it points us to Jesus, how it illustrates for us who know Jesus as our Savior, this beautiful this gracious relationship we now have with him, which you gave to us, Lord. Lord, unless you had acted, we would never have chosen you. We would never have come to this conclusion. Only because of your mercy, because of your grace, can any of us believe. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us in our confusion, in our doubt. Help any of us, Lord, from a different background. Help us to come to the one person who knows us and understands us and who invites us to come and dine at his table. God help, we pray. Our love is often low. Our joy still ebbs and flows. 
But peace with God remains the same. No change our Father knows. Father, we thank you for this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.